Today in Security from Wired. This episode is brought to you by ShipStation. You know, some things take a lot of work, like sending little robots to far off distant planets. And just as that's challenging, so too is running a successful e-commerce business, especially when there's so much to do. So I want to introduce you all to ShipStation. Now, I love using ShipStation because of its easy-to-use dashboard, which makes managing orders and printing labels a breeze and super smooth. Oh, and the customer service is just out of this world. It's exactly what you need to help grow your business. Sign up for your free 60-day trial at ShipStation.com slash technews. That's ShipStation.com slash technews. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Today in security from Wired. Big tech couldn't ban its way out of this. Platforms scrambled to avoid being used by right-wing extremists targeting the inauguration. But the seeds of this crisis were sown long ago by Gilad Edelman. Social media companies took a great deal of criticism for their role in enabling the January 6th breach of the Capitol. Then, in advance of Joe Biden's inauguration, and with federal officials warning the risk of more violence was high, they scrambled to avoid being implicated in any additional attacks. It's hard to keep track of all the steps taken by tech companies prior to the inauguration. These companies include platforms that were directly implicated in the riot, as well as several that provide services like hosting and payment, and some that had no connection at all. To give a partial list, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube all suspended or banned Donald Trump. Facebook and YouTube suspended users who continued to say the election was stolen. Twitter said it purged some 70,000 QAnon accounts. Facebook blocked new events near locations like the Capitol and, along with Google, paused all political ads again. Google also kicked the conservative-friendly Parler off its app store for failing to have a robust content moderation system. So did Apple, while Amazon canceled Parler's hosting contract. Companies less accustomed to public scrutiny also joined the crackdown. The streaming platform DLive banned users who had live-streamed themselves breaking into the Capitol. Telegram, a notoriously laissez-faire messaging and social media platform popular among far-right groups, announced that it had removed dozens of public channels because of, quote, public calls to violence. TikTok said it blocked videos of Trump's January 6th speech and hashtags associated with the attack. Zello, a walkie-talkie app used at the Capitol riot, said it deleted more than 2,000 channels associated with white supremacists and right-wing militias. Even Peloton saw it necessary to ban the Stop the Steal tag within its app. We should welcome these companies' efforts to do their part to ward off further violence, even if there's an element of self-preservation involved. We should also keep in mind that the platforms are only one part of the picture. They can't make Trump or his most dead-end followers disappear. 
But to the extent that social media does bear responsibility for what happened at the Capitol, these hastily imposed emergency measures were almost beside the point. The online seeds of real-world violence were sown long before January 6th. If social media platforms did manage to make a difference in keeping the inauguration safe, it was most likely by making it harder for extremist groups to organize and plan. Losing access to Facebook and Twitter made it more difficult to spread the message to people who weren't already seeking it out. On the other hand, there are many ways for would-be terrorists to communicate, and shutting down public groups and channels creates the risk that planning will simply relocate to private or encrypted spaces that are harder for law enforcement to monitor. The messaging app Signal, which uses end-to-end encryption by default, saw a huge spike in downloads in the lead-up to the inauguration. There's always been a pretty even debate, said Stephen Stalinsky, the executive director of the Middle East Media Research Institute and an expert on how extremists organize online. Leave it up and you get intelligence value. Shut it down and maybe it's going to stop people from recruiting or planning. Some of these people are not smart, he added, referring to domestic extremists, especially when it comes to white supremacist groups. They were never under any scrutiny before. Some of them use their real names, or in their pictures there will be clues. They're not taking security very seriously. Still, Stalinsky said he comes down on the take-it-down side when it comes to violent extremism. His perspective was forged by years of monitoring activity by Islamic terrorists. The Islamic State, in particular, became notorious for its strategic use of social media in the 2010s. This might sound crazy, but if it were not for Twitter, ISIS would not have been ISIS, he said. They used it so effectively for recruitment, for spreading their ideology, for growing. After the 2014 murder of the American journalist James Foley, Stalinsky said, Twitter took the problem seriously and largely purged ISIS from its platform. Banished from major social media networks, the group migrated to Telegram and other chat apps. Platforms have been criticized for years for treating white nationalism more leniently than Islamic extremism. To the extent that right-wing domestic terrorists use social media for recruitment, however, the last-minute moves announced after the January 6th riots were probably too late to have any impact on violence surrounding the inauguration. Recruitment, such as it is, has been going on for years. YouTube has been shown to make it easier for communities to form around radical right-wing viewpoints. Facebook's recommendation algorithms have notoriously steered people into more extreme groups. It's also tricky to analogize the Capitol rioters directly to ISIS. It was an ad hoc alliance aimed at a particular immediate goal, keeping Trump in office, rather than an ideological organization with fixed long-term ambitions. While some appear to belong to organized militias and white supremacist groups, many tributaries feed the Stop the Steel River, including QAnon adherents who are not inherently organized around violence and people who simply believe Trump's claims that the country is being stolen from them and feel motivated to act. Indeed, providing a forum for lies about the election is probably the most important way in which social media platforms contributed to the current atmosphere of political violence, 
and it's also the one that was most obviously too late for any quick fix. Facebook and YouTube shut down accounts that repeated lies about a stolen election, but at that point, tens of millions of Americans already believed those false claims. For the companies to have made a difference here, they would have had to start a lot earlier. To be fair, in some ways they did start earlier. Much less so YouTube, which tends to get away with being less aggressive about disinformation. In the months leading up to and following the election, the companies made unprecedented efforts to steer users to accurate information and apply fact-checking labels to claims of electoral fraud. Those moves don't seem to have been effective, but one can understand why the companies were hesitant to start taking down every post disputing the election results. It's untenable for a platform of any real scale to police all false content, especially when it comes to politics, which is all about trying to convince voters to accept a certain version of reality. In an era of intense polarization, it isn't always clear which lies will be the ones to spark violence until it happens. It's a mistake, however, to analyze social media's culpability solely in terms of a binary decision to take something down or leave it up. The effect these companies have on discourse is much more deeply woven into their basic design, which prioritizes engagement above all else. To understand one way in which this plays out, I highly recommend a recent New York Times article by Stuart A. Thompson and Charlie Warzel. They analyzed public Facebook posts from three far-right users, including one who was part of the crowd outside the Capitol on January 6th. All three, the authors found, started out posting normal stuff to limited reaction. Once they shifted to extreme posts, whether it was encouraging stop-the-steal protests, COVID denialism, or spreading false claims about rigged ballot counts, their engagement skyrocketed. More likes, more comments, more shares, more attention. What's so fascinating about this report, anecdotal though it may be, is that it shows people doing and saying extreme things that they otherwise wouldn't have because of social media. One person profiled in the Times article explains that his attendance at the D.C. Trump rally has caused his family to disown him, but he has no plans to stop what he's doing. Another gets arrested. Their stories suggest that the disinformation problem isn't just about the incentive that platforms have to show users incendiary content, it's also about the incentives the platforms create for users to create that content in the first place in order to experience the addictive thrill of getting other people's attention. That goes to the heart of how the companies make their money. It can't be solved by banning certain groups or hashtags. Their executives occasionally recognize this. Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey tweeted on January 13th, We need to look at how our service might incentivize distraction and harm, but they've yet to translate soul-searching into action. It would, of course, be ludicrous to suggest that Internet platforms are solely or even primarily responsible for the attack at the Capitol or law enforcement's inadequate preparation for it. America has a long history of political violence long before social media showed up, and people who want to do harm will always find ways to communicate. Fox News remains the country's most influential source of right-wing disinformation. 
And when the most powerful person in the world wants to cause trouble, there's a limit to what social networks can do to stop him. And yet, it's hard to deny that social media has helped get us where we are. Fixing that will require much more than scrambling to purge the bad guys once blood has already been spilled. Like what you learned? Subscribe everywhere you listen to podcasts and get more security news at Wired.com security. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.